0: Well, I was going to open up the Bible for us, uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, 1 to 14, so I'm going to read that. I'm going to read from the ESV, Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins.
1: And one of the advantages of uh, having a small church uh, is you get to pray for your people more regularly. So I've got got about 30 people on the roll. And... uh, I uh, pray for a third of them each day. But what I've realised is I've been looking at Colossians. I need to be more disciplined in terms of what I pray for them, okay? rather than just God bless Fred and Jane and so on. If you look at, um, uh, if you look at Colossians uh, 1 through 1 to 14, like what Scott just read, you see what basically the structure is. Uh, Paul gives thanks for them in verses 1 to 8. And then, he's, then he tells them what he asks God for them. So he thanks God for them in 1 to 8, and then he'll tell them what he wants God to do for them, what he prays for them in 9 through to 14. What I'm going to give you is just uh, not really a sermon package. It's more just some thoughts. I've, I've worked through this uh, in a Sunday afternoon group, but kind of in a different way. Here's one of the things I've been trying to work out over the last couple of years. How do you teach the Bible to two different audiences? That's to the believer and the unbeliever. Because we're trying to run something on Sunday afternoon that, that works for someone who walks in at ground zero. Now, I think you can if you do it right, but it means really thinking about it. Uh, it's much easier in the Gospels. But, but we've worked our way right through Matthew's Gospel, it took a year, and we've worked our way right through Mark's Gospel, it took a year, and we've done some cameos on John, and so we're in Colossians, and it's, it's harder. But, but what I keep hearing is, I know you're getting old and grumpy, I keep hearing these young guys who come out of Bible college, and they preach, and 99% of it is to Christians. Okay? And then the non-Christian might get one sentence, you know, and if you're not a believer, you need to think about this. But I think, I keep saying, guys, you, you've got to be able to speak to both audiences. But, and most of the time, you can do it. Anyway, uh, so first question about what do we want for our people. When you come to Colossians, it's also a question about how much can you work out what the false teachers were. You know, was it proto-gnosticism or what was it? You go to Peter O'Brien's commentary, and he's the smartest guy in the room, uh, he lists, uh, it Was a J.J. Gunther has 44 different suggestions between, over the last 100 years as to what the false teaching was, which makes me think maybe we're asking the wrong question. Even Peter O'Brien lists five you know, serious scholars and five different options at the end. Even Peter O'Brien says he's not sure. So it's something to do with a mixture of Jewish, Christian asceticism, mysticism, worship of angels, but the guts of it seems to be uh, they were saying... Sure, you've started with Jesus and that's good, but let us show you something bigger and better. That's the idea. It's good to start with Jesus, but there's more, there's more to it than that. So it's a beautiful book to, to bring to either those who are brand new Christians, and we've got, we've got a few of those, uh, or those who even aren't quite Christian yet. It's the idea of, you, well, you start with Jesus, it's pretty simple, but you keep going. So it's, it, i found that it yeah It works. Uh, what do we know about the about the book? Uh, Paul's writing from prison. We don't know exactly where Paul didn't plant this church. Epaphras did. If you look down verses seven and eight, uh, Paul also says in Philemon twenty verse twenty four that Epaphras was his fellow prisoner. I'm not sure of the timing on that, uh, but it seems it's quite possible that Epaphras heard the gospel when Paul was in Ephesus. Uh, you know Acts 19 uh, he's in Ephesus the uh, people in the synagogue won't listen and we're told in um, Acts 19 9 but some of them became obstinate they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way so Paul left them took his disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus uh, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord uh, very significant verse because that's the first city Bible forum that I can see and uh You know, very important thing to be able to do. Um, And the um, Ephesus was the centre and then it flowed out. You can see along the Lycus Valley, uh, you've got Colossae and then Laodicea, uh, etc. So let's just read, if you like, read through it, give you a few thoughts on it. I'm using the NIV. uh, Then you've got to have something to rant about as you read, so that you're never short with the NIV. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now, the NIV translates uh, "hagios" or "hagios" uh, the the saints as God's holy people. Um, my guess is most of the other translations you're using don't. The Holmans Let's go for saints. Anyone else? NASB saints, ESV saints, saints. Okay. I don't know why the NIV does this, but it's. Uh, I use the NIV, it seems the easiest to read, and at City Bible Forum we're always basically doing evangelism. It seems the the smoothest translation for someone who's never had contact with the Bible. It's a significant thing to miss, though, here. Uh, In the original, it's the saints and faithful brothers. Uh, If you go with Donald Robinson, um, DWB Robinson, his volume one of his collected works published by Matthias Media a, he's got an article in there on uh, who were the saints in the New Testament and his thesis and I'm, I'm, who am I to say that he'd be wrong, I think he's right the saints are the Jewish Christians Now, my Greek isn't good enough to know whether the chi between saints uh, the, and faithful brothers can mean two groups but it seems to fit the way the rest of the letter works so the big thing is he's writing actually to the Jewish Christians and to the faithful brothers. And NIV translates brothers and sisters, which given the change in the language seems to me fair enough. Uh, once you actually start reading and, and realise that the, that the significance of Jews and Gentile believers operating together wasn't just in the book of Acts, that it flows through into the epistles, it actually starts to unlock the structure of a whole lot of them. It certainly unlocks Ephesians, and I think it works uh, here. I'll I'll, for time I'll show you something. Yeah, you see, um, so verse 1, if, if you read it as uh, to the saints and faithful brothers, but have a look down in verse 4. Uh, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your... and. Um, of the love you have for all the saints. He's writing to predominantly Gentiles and he's overjoyed at the fact that they love the Jewish Christians. Or down in verse 12, the big deal there is that God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. It's, it's the fact that uh, Gentiles and, uh, the Gentiles and the saints love one another and the Gentiles have been brought in to be able to share in the inheritance. If you've never done it, just read Ephesians 1 and 2 and and plug in Jewish believers where you see saints, and all of a sudden that it just falls into place about the the Jews and the Gentiles and how they love and care for one another. I'll I'll keep reading. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all there is again in the NIV God's people all the saints now what's he thankful for their faith and love okay the the love they have for for the saints for the jewish believers the faith and love and where do that faith and love come from the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel uh, What's the, what's the thing that, uh, where do faith and love come from? And so the NIV's got that spring from the hope stored up for you. Uh, the word spring, I don't know where they get that from NIV. It's simply, he says, because of the hope being laid up for you in heaven. I, I wonder if, I'm oh, sorry, I feel the temptation or sometimes the embarrassment of talking about heaven and the future. I don't know if I'm the only one that, you know, the only uh, heretic in the room, but there's a a kind of an embarrassment as you talk about heaven or that feeling, oh, well, it's pie in the sky, or I'm not sure why that is, but I I sometimes feel it. Uh, Prosperity theology, by definition, downplays the whole idea of hope and heaven and the future. But I wonder whether it kind of you know, sneaks in, sneaks into us that so we talk about. Oh, you know, believe in Jesus and life will be better now, and it works now. But the, there's an embarrassment of talking about heaven. Ever feel that? Just the occasional, not just if someone could nod their head, that would be. I uh, just thanks, Dan. There's a few screensavers going on in the room already. I can see, but that's all right. Did a quick search. The word hope used in the epistles 66 times. Uh, in Romans alone, Paul uses it seventeen times. Okay. Um, the way hope in the New Testament works, as far as I can see, is what you know about the future reaches back and changes the present. Okay. Um, and and it really does change things. Did you uh, do you remember? Uh, it's August two thousand and ten. Uh, there were 33 um, miners in Chile, I think is the correct way to pronounce it, uh, buried 620 metres underground. Okay? Um, you imagine how dark they're in the, There's 33 of them there. Uh, they recounted that after 17 days, they considered suicide and cannibalism. Probably not in that order, but anyway. Um, and then they lived the next 53 days... And all got out safely. What happened after 17 days? The guys on the surface got a tiny little borehole through to them. Not big enough for a human being, but big enough for them to know that they would be rescued. That, And basically that line of, uh, was it 620 metres, uh, was hope. And that's what kept them alive. So I understand they're going to make a movie out of it now starring Antonio Banderas. There you go. Uh, <laughs> as you do. But it's that its that idea of hope that... that is the future reaching back to the present and changing everything? And I, I think I probably need to start talking about uh, about heaven and hope more. I know I already say to people about the list of things that need uh, work at the resurrection for me. Um, so that would be ears, eyes, right knee, left hand, right foot. Um, the list gets longer. I'm sure if we went around the room, we'd, you guys would all have your list as well. And and I think we need to learn... Maybe it's just that I notice a lot of you guys will have churches full of um, 23-year-olds. They don't get it. Um, you attract people the same age and stage. The average age of our little church is probably 55. And uh, we've got a couple of 40-year-old kids. And we go through to John at uh, 84. But I tell you what, hope starts to... As you get older, hope starts to mean more and more. Um, and that's what you've got to preach to people who are uh, suffering, uh, ageing, disappointments, people whose dreams are dying, all sorts of things. It's hope that makes all the difference now. Uh, do you notice in, uh, in verse, uh, the end of verse 5 where the hope comes from? Uh, the NIV's gone for the true message. I don't know why. It's, it's actually the word of truth. And then uh, verse 6, It has come to you. Uh, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, uh, <clears throat> just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So there's the expectation that the gospel will bear fruit, and I think in two different ways in the passage. Uh, the verse 6 here, I think it means more converts. Okay, so as the gospel preached all over the world, more and more converts. But if you look in verse 10, same word again, bearing fruit, uh, is about good works, uh, you know, people growing in godliness. And then 7 and 8, where did they learn this from? Uh, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Uh, and he'll say later on how Epaphras wrestles in prayer for them. So a good man and true. So that's what Paul's thankful for. And you can bet he was thankful. He's, he's in prison. We don't know where, but he's in prison. And he's heard about this new great little church that's kind of started up. Someone else has started it. Right? So he, he rejoices in that. And then here's what he prays for them. Verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the, all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now, here's something that I've, I can't... I don't know whether I thought of this myself or I read it somewhere. But here's, here's what I think is unusual. That reference there in verse 9 is the only reference to the Holy Spirit in Colossians. Okay. And when you do a quick check, uh, how often is the Spirit mentioned? This is a bit, a bit rough. I just checked how often Pneuma is mentioned in uh, Paul's other uh, letters. Uh, Romans, 27 times. 1 Corinthians, uh, 32 times. 2 Corinthians, 15 times. Galatians, 15. Ephesians, 14. Philippians, 5. 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 8 times. And Colossians, once. And Numa is mentioned twice in Colossians, but the other time it's Paul's talking about his own spirit. Any thoughts? I don't know how we juggle this with the sound, Mark. Any thoughts on why? Is that is It's unusual, isn't it? One mention of the Holy Spirit. Well, isn't
0: the issue being pushed away from Jesus? So he wants to make lots of Jesus. Is that the reason?
1: Do you guys hear that? Don't you hate it when you ask a great question and someone gets it straight away? I just, uh, exactly, so just say it a bit louder so I can hear you exactly right.
0: Uh, is an issue that they want, uh, they've been pressed to make more of Jesus and so Paul's just going back to Jesus again and again and again?
1: Yeah, that's right. I think that's, I think that's what it is. It's, it's the idea that you move on from Jesus and so there's different ways of saying the same idea or thing that Paul wants to say and so all the time it's, He's on about Jesus, 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 Jesus. Um, whereas in other times, he'll he'll bring the spirit in and say the same things from the point of view of the spirit's work. Like, you have a look at 3.16, um, uh, about singing. We studied this the other day. It was an interesting discussion in our little church that we call Nilsong um, about, um, where are we, Colossians 3... Yes, yeah, 16, let the message... I don't know, why did the NIV go for message? It's the word. The word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. When he says that in Ephesians 5, what's he say? It's not let the word of Christ dwell in you, it's be filled with the Spirit. Okay? Uh, or if you look at 3, 1 and 2, since then... Uh, Colossians 3, 1, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated in the right hand of God... That's very similar to saying, uh, say Galatians five, keep in step with the Spirit, or Romans eight, um, be controlled by the Spirit. Okay, so I just think he's got this agenda. It's all about Jesus, 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 and he's just said it from different from different ways. Uh, now he prays for them that for all the knowledge and will um, through all the spirit and understanding. Uh, why verse ten? Uh, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Uh, Change lives. So bearing fruit, you know, good works and so on, to know God better. And then he prays, I'll just push I've got five minutes. Uh, then he prays about power in their life. Uh, being strengthened verse 11 being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have miracles revival magnificent preaching be prosperous it's not what your translation says is it Uh, so you might have great it's not what endurance and patience Uh, interesting thing to pray for isn't it that the power of God will be shown in endurance and patience so I got out my accordance, looked up the Greek, and as usual, uh, the Greek says what the English says. Okay? Hooper uh, uh, Monan, um, capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances, uh, endurance, being able to endure. Macrothumia, a state of the patience idea, a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune, and without complaint or irritation. No wonder I had no idea what that word meant. Um, (laughs) Emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune. That's not me. The power of God you'll see in just being able to keep going and stay patient. Um, There'll be people in our churches who have been swimming against the tide of our world for 50, 60, 70 years. And sometimes I'll be just, if I could say, quiet, plodding, uh, good-hearted believers, and that's the power of God at work, and that's what Paul wants for them. Uh, I I think sometimes I need to kind of, if you like, recalibrate what really impresses me, where you see the power of God at work. Uh, What about ministry? Uh, Any of you guys ever just maybe feel just a tad tired in ministry? Wake up, Cole. <laughs> what? Yeah, what? Yeah. Uh, it, it's, I know we only work one day a week, okay? But it's it's hard work, isn't it? <clears throat> I sat, <laughs> sat down this morning and uh, worked out... It's 31 years since uh, I started as an MTS trainee uh, over in the eastern suburbs. Uh, and uh, I hit 55 the other day. And I've got to be honest... I get a little bit tired sometimes. Um, and I don't know why it is, but the whole world has become idiots in the last five years. <laughs> it's, not, it's not my fault. I don't know what's happened. It's just like it's some kind of epidemic. Uh, I also worked out, I think I've... You guys are the same. Have you ever worked out how many times, roughly, you've preached? I, I think I've worked out, it's between three and 4,000 times. Now, I could count on one hand the number of times I've got it really right but three or four thousand times of sitting down thinking oh, a week's work might have fixed that but anyway that's, that's another story but three or four thousand times if you want to be I don't know <laughs> if I don't know whether it's encouraged or daunted I don't know which one it would be uh, go and listen you get it on the web for free uh, John Piper's Biographies of Christian giants that he gives at the Desiring God conference. So he's done you know Spurgeon and Edwards and Whitfield and others. Uh, <laughs> just a quick check on Whitfield's biography. Uh, Whitfield was an astounding preacher from the beginning. Um, When London had a population of less than 700,000, Whitfield could hold 20,000 people at Moorfields or at Kensington Common. For 34 years, his preaching resounded throughout England and America. Uh, His preaching ministry, he crossed the Atlantic 13 times and became known as the Apostle to the British Empire. Um, Whitfield died in 1770 when he was one year older than me. He had preached more than 18,000 times. An average of 500 a year or 10 a week. Many of them were given over and over again. Fewer than 90 have survived in any form. Uh, I don't know whether to be encouraged by that, daunted, depressed, uh, 10 times a week, 34 years. What is it that kept him going? Uh, God kept him going with endurance and patience. It would be a great thing to pray for, uh, for each other, to pray for our people, because you do get tired. And it's the power of God that will keep you going, keep you fresh. And a holiday now and then doesn't hurt. Right. Okay, just um, very quickly. And joyfully give... Notice also, uh, enduring patience and thankfulness. That's the, uh, and thankfulness is the opposite of grumbling and whinging and being impatient. And I need to learn it. And it's, but to be thankful is a way... It changes your whole outlook on life. Giving, uh, giving joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his... Not holy people, NIV. His saints in the kingdom of light. Can somebody tell me what uh, Holman's or someone else... Because the word kingdom isn't there in the text. I don't know why the NIV's put it there. Just um, saints in the light. Uh, The
0: saints'
1: inheritance in the light. Yeah, that's better. What's that translation? Holman. Holman. Okay, yeah. Holman wins on that one. Okay. Uh, And then you get what I think is like the the springboard for the, the rest of the book... Uh, and this is a beautiful way to teach it to people who have never had much to do with Christianity um, in terms of getting them out of the idea of good works. Because verses 13 and 14 um, just beautifully puts it. It says, For what, um, what's he done there for? Right? For he has rescued us. And once you start talking about the rescue word, people start to get it in terms of uh, grace and how you say it. For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption. The idea of being brought back, right? And forgiveness of sins. Uh, Dominion of darkness kind of picks up the, the spiritual warfare ideas from Ephesians 2 uh, and, and maybe Ephesians 6. And the rest of the book is really about understanding the implications of moving from the kingdom of darkness uh, to the, the kingdom of the sun that he loves. Uh, in terms of understanding who the sun is uh, that flows out of, you know, into um, uh, the rest of chapter 1, and then um, why following the Son is all you need in terms of fullness of Christ, um, uh, living that out, and right through even the household codes in the second half of chapter 3. So each week as we've we've, um, unpacked the book, I've really just put that up on the... I just plug it into my television, and I show them on the television, and say, remember, rescued, in the change in the kingdom, what does that look like? Well, we're up to how to live it out. So big application the power of hope in the gospel and we need to be we got to live it ourselves and talk about it more uh, and the power of God at work to seen good works and knowledge of God by just plain old endurance and patience